0: I'd like this morning to think about a certain word. It's become quite a controversial word recently. Uh, I like to call it the F word. You may have noticed recently that people are using the F word a lot more liberally. I don't know how you feel about it. I turn on my television and hear it. I hear people using it on the radio. People put it into sentences without really knowing what it means. Even people in positions of dignity and responsibility, people who claim to be Christians even, use it. I read that George Bush, no less, used the F word 27 times in a speech he made. What's more, I can guarantee that all of you have used it before. Freedom, what else? Freedom, everybody's talking about freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of information, freedom and democracy, freedom from fear and terror, freedom of choice, we've got freedom corner, freedom fighters, we live in the free world. In fact, it's talked about so much, I'm not sure that I have a clear idea what it means anymore when people use it, I'm not sure whether people, when they use it, know what it means. I'm not sure it means the same thing to everybody. We emphasise it a lot in politics and society, even in religion. But what does it mean to have freedom? Are people really free? Well, I'm sure it could be the uh, the subject of a whole host of sermons. Um, I'm certainly not intending to do the definitive work on freedom. Uh, We'd be here all day. But what I would like to do, however, is think about the verses we've just read, we've just heard from. Because at the heart of them, it seems, is this idea of freedom. And it's the idea of true freedom. Freedom that comes from Christ. Or God's freedom. On the face of it, the passage we heard contains a series of stories or a series of events. There's a slave girl possessed by an evil spirit which Paul commands to leave her. And then there's the anger of her owners at their loss of income, and that leads them to take Paul and Silas to court. And then Paul and Silas become imprisoned, and then there's the earthquake, which ends up in the conversion of the jailer, and their release from prison. Whereupon they demand to be let out by the Roman officials as unjustly convicted Roman citizens. What's striking in these stories is the fortune of all the characters involved. Because it seems that all the people in the passage who appear to be enslaved end up free. And those who initially appear to be free are actually shown to be enslaved. Let's have a closer look. The first character we meet in the passage is that the slave girl, a servant woman the passage says, but it's a tame way of putting it, This girl is a slave and she's possessed. She's possessed by an evil spirit which enables her to tell the future. And she's possessed by other humans. People who own her like property, who use her to make money. This girl is enslaved, exploited, oppressed, in bondage. In no way could we call her free. Well, she follows Paul and the others. And seemingly, by the power of the evil spirit, an evil spirit she shouts out behind them, These men are servants of the Most High God. They announce to you how you can be saved. Well, that's entirely true. Perhaps the evil spirit was bound to recognise who Jesus was, or perhaps just trying to discredit them by linking them with the occult. But after a while, it seems that Paul gets upset with what's going on. And again, we don't know if it's just because he's annoyed or because he feels great compassion for the girl. But in Jesus' name, he orders the spirit to leave her. And it does. The power of Jesus frees this girl from possession by an evil spirit. So no longer is she bound to be the mouthpiece of this demon. No longer would she be the source of money for these slave owners she can't be exploited any longer by them. She can't be sold for her services. The story doesn't say if she was set free from being a slave. It's not explicit as to whether she came to know Christ. We may hope she was, and she did, and we may imagine her owners dismissed her now as worthless in their eyes. Hopefully the disciples picked her up and nurtured her. But we can say, surely enough, That she now knew some freedom to be her own person not just a vessel for oppressive evil and money making the power of christ brought freedom to this slave girl paul and silas also appear as people who seem to be in captivity and yet end up free following the incident with the slave girl they're imprisoned on trumped up charges and through a bit of rough justice they're locked up and chained in the inner cell of a Roman jail. Their feet are put in wooden blocks, and that seems to be the very opposite of what we might call freedom. But while they're in there, they freely worship God. Nothing about the situation stops them from doing that. And following the earthquake at midnight, their chains fall off. Or well, they don't make their escape yet, but they come to the aid of the jailer. And come morning time, the police officers tell them, well, they're, they're free to clear off. But Paul doesn't want to be just free to slip away. He wants his freedom to be publicly acknowledged. I love this bit of the story. We'll come back to it again in a few minutes. But just, just imagine even being Silas in a situation alongside Paul. You've been roughing it in a horrible, stinking cell unjustly for days. And now you've been told you can go free. See, I mean, you'd be out of there like a shot. You wouldn't look back at all, would you? But not Paul. He's happy to hang around there until, on his demand, the Roman officials come right to the cell and acknowledge their mistake and lead him out in full recognition of his freedom. Paul wants to milk it to make the most of it. You'd be saying to your sons, Paul, what on earth are you doing? Let's just get out of here. It's horrible. But the point is emphatically made through Paul's actions, because where they were once captive as enemies of the state, they're now seen by everybody to be free Roman citizens. But where there are those who are freed from captivity in these stories, there are others whose apparent freedom Is shown to be captivity. What about the owners of the slave girl? They're free marketeers. They're out there making money. They're freeholders to do what they want with their property, this slave girl. They're free men with rights and standing before the courts. And yet they're horribly enslaved. They seize Paul and Silas to take them to court because they realize their chance of making money has gone. That's what matters most to them. When the slave girl is set free from her possession, it's clear that these supposedly supposedly free men are possessed and enslaved by their desire to make money. More powerful, maybe, than the captivating spirit in the slave girl is the captivating spirit of greed in these people. They're not free. They're slaves to the God of money. And what's more, when we see them go to court, they twist the issue so that it's not about their simple loss of income. It becomes a matter of national security. People causing trouble by teaching customs against the Roman way. Certainly no multiculturalism for these men. It's because they're Jewish that Paul and Silas are imprisoned. And so we see these free men in the court are actually captivated by prejudice. We can look at the Roman officials who send Paul and Silas to prison. The judges, if you like, on first appearance, they're men of freedom, free to judge those who stand before them, with power to send people to prison or set them free. Such a position of authority must be a position of great freedom. And yet, at the very end, when Paul insists that, as a Roman citizen, they come and let him out of prison, we see that they're not free at all. When they heard what Paul had said, and that they were Roman citizens, Paul and Silas were citizens, these officials were afraid, and they went to apologise and lead them from prison. They were captivated by fear. They were enslaved by the fear of the law they followed and the consequences they might face. It was a serious crime to publicly whip a Roman citizen. It could lead to trouble from those above, it could lead to ill feeling, it could lead to uprising. It wasn't really a free choice that these officials had and made as to whether they go and apologise to Paul and Silas. They were obliged by law and the fear of the consequences. Paul's freedom and insistence actually show how enslaved these officials were to their culture, to their law, to those above them, even to fear. Well, the last character to look at is the jailer, who's perhaps a slightly special case, because he goes from apparent freedom to captivity, and then back to freedom again. On the surface, the job of a jailer seems to be one of freedom. You're the one on the outside of the cell. You have the power over the prisoners. You have the key to their cells, to their freedom. And yet, as one wise person has said, having a key to someone else's cell doesn't make you free. And on closer inspection of verses 23 and 24, it's clear that this man is a man under orders, a man who has to do the things he is told. It becomes all the more apparent when the earthquake strikes the prison. We read that the jailer woke up and when he saw that the prison doors were open, he thought that the prisoners had escaped, so he pulled out his sword and was about to kill himself. How free is the jailer feeling at this point? He's so captivated by fear of what's happened and what will happen to him. His mind is so imprisoned by despair. That he thinks the only way out is to commit suicide and that's not freedom and yet in paul's witness that we all were present and correct in his instruction that the jailer should believe in christ and through his explanation of the gospel to his family through their baptism the jailer found freedom and we read later he and his family were filled with joy because they now believed in God. So what we see in the stories of these people is the mark of God's work really throughout the book of Acts, and indeed the Bible, his great reversals. On one hand, he frees those who have been enslaved and imprisoned by worldly oppression. And on the other hand, he, he highlights as enslavement what seems in our world to be freedom. Well, from these stories about God's great reversals, I just want to draw together some brief lessons about God's idea of freedom, or if you like, what freedom in Christ is and does. As I said earlier, it's not a comprehensive treatment of the subject, just three statements and applications from these verses about God's freedom in Christ. And this is the first. That God's freedom is freedom from oppression, but not freedom to oppress. It's freedom from oppression, but not freedom to oppress. So when Paul commanded the evil spirit in the name of Jesus to leave the girl, it freed her from her oppression. It freed her from the spiritual oppression of the demon and from the physical exploitation at the hands of her owners. The power of Jesus frees people from oppression, and we shouldn't just think about the spiritual aspect. Of course, we can see the parallel of this girl being freed with the parallel of our being freed from slavery to sin. But Paul's words didn't just bring about some unseen spiritual transformation. They actually freed this girl from the tangible physical oppression she was suffering. So we shouldn't limit the power of the gospel And the freedom of Christ, just the spiritual realm. We shouldn't think that sharing the name of Jesus and the truth of Jesus is only ever about words and some inner freedom. Christ set this girl free from her sin and her evil spirit, but also from a life of horrible, psychological, demeaning, oppressive exploitation. We can be guilty as Christians of perhaps internalizing the freedom that Christ brings, thinking it's something to do just with our inner souls. It's meant that sometimes our ministry has been very concerned with spiritual transformation, but not very concerned about the need for physical freedom from oppression. Of course, spiritual transformation is vital. We shouldn't dismiss it to concern ourselves just with social action and care. But when Paul spoke in the name of Jesus, freedom from physical oppression, went hand in hand with the slave girl's spiritual freedom. There are people in our areas of our own city, even, who are used and exploited just like the slave girl. And as Christians, we need, in in one way or another, to be getting upset about that in the same way that Paul did. Because it's easy to tut about the spiritual immorality of it all from behind our newspapers or televisions. But what are we as the church, those who believe in God's amazing freedom in Christ, going to do about it? The other side of oppression, however, is being the oppressor, like the slave owners. We've already seen they, they weren't free, they were enslaved by their desire for money and by their prejudice. So while freedom is from oppression, freedom is not for oppression. We're not free in Christ to oppress others, but of course we don't. Do we? Let me give just one example of where we might be guilty. We all love getting a bargain. We love getting something cheaper than elsewhere, or getting something of quality at a fantastic price. We hunt around in the supermarket to find deals or to find good value on a brand name. And in doing so, we're saving money. We're able to keep it back or spend it on something else. And that may not be from selfish motives or from greed. It's often from the desire to be wise and good stewards. But when we shop, we're exerting our spending power, our freedom to spend and to choose. And it's important to think about how what we buy affects others. So when we get something cheap in the supermarket, Who's getting less than their share so that we can save money? Is it the supermarket? Is it the distributors or the importers? Is it the production company? Often, probably not. It's most likely the poor farm or factory workers, those in the sweatshops or the pickers in the field. Slaving away already the bargains we get often only shore up their oppressed lifestyle. And how well do we understand that the brand name is treating those who work in its factories? I, you know, I don't want to tar them all with the same brush, but I wonder how oblivious we are to the near-slave treatment that's come up with a product we're so pleased to own. Not every bargain or brand name is oppressive by any means. But let's not let captivation that getting good value for us lead to the endorsement of others' oppression. There are great fair trade options available in Belfast. More and more in supermarkets. There are good books to read. The Rough Guide to Ethical Shopping is one I've come across. I'm reading another at the moment called Lift the Label, produced by Tearfund. They talk about ways we can buy and freely enable others to be free too. God's freedom in Christ seeks freedom from oppression but not freedom to oppress. Secondly, it's freedom to worship God, even though it's not necessarily freedom from suffering and persecution. Paul and Silas clearly suffered for their faith. They were persecuted. They were put in prison for acting on their beliefs in a way which challenged the conventions and the laws of society. They didn't go looking for trouble but what they did as Christians resulted in suffering and persecution. But in the depths of this grim prison, they still freely worshipped God. They saw another opportunity to pray and praise, so despite not being free, nothing could stop their freedom in worship. There are persecuted churches around the world, places where people are imprisoned and tortured for their faith. Places where it's illegal to be a Christian, to even go to a church like this on a Sunday morning. And that seems to us to be a great injustice, a great denial of human freedom and liberty. It's right and necessary that we pray and act that people may have legal and social freedom to worship God. And yet the many stories you hear and read of growing churches in places like China with their passionate faith and witness, it seems like it, it's they who really know what it is to be free in Christ. And though they face persecution, though they've got no legal freedom, many Christians seem to be freely worshipping Christ and knowing the joy and hope they have in Him, no matter their situation. Which is all a bit of a challenge to us, because we are still legally free in this country to worship Christ, so we might think that we're free in our worship. But many things try to enslave us and capture us, often doing quite a good job of it. Pressures of time and work, social convention, the embarrassment of standing out as different, burning issues in our life which may be important but take up all our thinking. How freely do we worship God in the midst of our circumstances? Paul and Silas are part of great evidence from the Bible, indeed from from the world, that Christians will never be free from suffering and persecution in one way or another, be it even more subtle forms. But when Paul and Silas faced this persecution, they took the opportunity to worship God. They didn't let it capture them, but they freely prayed to their mighty God, who had brought them true freedom and hope. So let's resolve to pray for our persecuted family across the world, but to also learn from them what it means to worship God in true freedom. And the final thing to say about freedom is that it's freedom that comes from hope in God, not hope in the world. The story of the jailer is an amazing one. There's so much that might be said about the providence of God, about the earthquake, about the simplicity of faith. But as we think about freedom, we see that it shows that freedom comes from hope in God, a hope which turns life around. Because The jailer's in dire straits when the earthquake comes. He's in despair. He's thinking, what's going on? What's happening to me? Where are the prisoners? I'm sure he must be turning over again and again in his mind all the possible consequences most of them would be pretty gruesome. In fact, they're so bad, it seems to him that the best option is to commit suicide. It seems that at this point, the jailer feels the world can offer him nothing, and his mind is captivated by one thought. It would be best to take his own life. It's at this point that Paul speaks, and through the work of the Spirit, This man's despair has turned into a joyful hope. In fact, for his whole household, once he was ensnared by fear, but now he's free and with hope. It demonstrates the power of God in Christ to deliver people from the forces of despair into freedom and hope. But Paul doesn't act in a crass way, it's not a quick handing out of a tractor or one liner to a person suffering tragedy. The message of believing in Jesus comes in the context of Paul reassuring the jailer that all is well with the prisoners, possibly Paul stopping them from running away. And he appropriately guides the jailer through the next steps. Because we won't help people who are powerless and hopeless with just hollow words. But we can help them to know freedom as the power and the love of Jesus is shown meaningfully and appropriately in all we do and say alongside them. So people can know true freedom as they know hope in God. But the other side of the coin is that hope in God clarifies more and more the little hope that we can have in the world and its ways, how unfree people are in it. We've seen the slave owners and the jailer and the Roman officials all bound by one thing or another. Paul's confident in his freedom that comes from his hope in God. He's clear that those who don't have such hope don't have the true freedom he knows. And he powerfully shows that at the very end, the contrast between the freedom he has in Christ and the lack of freedom that these men of the law and of the state have. Christ brings true freedom. The freedom of our countries and of our laws is at best limited. So we need to be wary then of all that's done in the name of freedom outside of Christ. But we can be confident in our freedom and hope in Christ, keen to share it with those who are captive and hopeless for the sake of their true freedom and for the glory of God. We're going to take some time to reflect on that now as we sing. Uh, turn